Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 18, notice. And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of diseases and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Well, let's pray. Father, it's so good to be in your house. It's so good that you've allowed us the health to be here. We don't want to take that for granted. Father, it's good to know that you are here with us, for you promised us that wherever two or three gathered in the name of Jesus, there you would be also. So, Father, calm our hearts and our minds before you. Let your word go forth in the power of your Holy Spirit to accomplish what you want it to accomplish. For those who need to make spiritual decisions, give them the courage to do exactly that. For those who need to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior publicly, Convict them and give them the courage to do that very thing. Father, you just have your way with us. We are yours, the sheep of your pasture. And we're waiting on you to instruct us. We thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Every once in a while on TV, uh, I watched every four years, some of the Olympic Games. Now, they seem to have one thing in common, if you hadn't noticed. They're all for young people. Young being under 25, most of them. Not all, but most. Melvin Stewart was 23 when he won a gold medal in the men's 200-meter butterfly. And he shared some insight on who had helped him to accomplish that. In 1988, Stewart finished fifth in the 200-meter butterfly. It was a disappointment to him as he swam in the Olympics at Seoul. His family was there, and he had a gentleman named George Baxter there with him. He called him Mr. B. Mr. B had paid for him boarding school when he had flunked out of school. He said, I owe my education to him. He was and is my mentor. Stuart continued that that day in Seoul, Mr. B didn't get on to him. Mr. B didn't shake his head in disappointment. Mr. B said, this is the best thing that could have happened to you. He said, you take this disappointment and you use it to drive you for the next Olympics so that you will win gold. When he won the gold medal, he took the little flowers that he got for winning on the podium there and he gave it to Mr. B. He said to the reporters that after he wore it for a little while, Mr. B got his gold medal also. He said, Mr. B... uh, is my friend, he's my mentor, he loves me and I love him. He said, there's so many things 
that he helps me with. I hardly ever make a decision without talking to him first. He said he is 76 years old. And he's been married to the same woman for 53 years. And I think that he knows a little bit about living life. And I want to learn his secret to living life. Well, I think that for Melvin Stewart, I think he's a gold medal winner not only in the Olympic pool, but in life, depending on somebody with more wisdom to help him. It leads me to this statement. Christian ministry involves multiplication of workers. Without multiplying workers, we can't accomplish what God wants us to do for Christ. How do we go about that when the task seems so daunting? How do we do that when there's so many lost, when there's so many dropping away from church, or so many saying that it's irrelevant? Some people call it discipleship. Some people call it mentoring. I don't care what you call it, but we're supposed to be about that to accomplish God's will in our church and in our community. And so I wanted to look at Jesus. He's the ultimate example of being a mentor, of doing discipleship. What we see him doing is what we're supposed to do. And so I wanted to look at this section of Scripture and apply it to us and see what it is. For those who are not Christians, uh, I guess it would be just like uh, our evangelist said, Brother Marcus. He said, you can just read something else and let me talk to the Christians. Uh, If you are a Christian, I want you to perk up and quit taking a nap and let's see what Jesus has to say today. The first one's in verse 18. Realize that a mentor has a relationship a mentor has a relationship again verse 18 of this passage says this for surely i say to you nope wrong verse that was chapter five and jesus walking by the sea of galilee saw two brothers simon called peter and andrew's brother casting nets to the sea for they were fishermen and he said to them follow me and i will make you fishers of men And then verse 21 says, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left and followed him. See, Jesus is calling them specifically to have a relationship with him. Jesus is calling them to follow him. You see, God is still in the business of calling us to have a relationship with him. Before God wants anything else from us, he wants our hearts. He wants us to be saved. He wants a relationship with us. If you haven't done that, he's calling to you today. You may not realize that. You may think you just came by happenstance, but there is no such thing as happenstance or chance in God's timetables. You are here this morning because God put it in your heart and mind to come to this place. And if you don't have a relationship as Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's what he wants from you today so he had a relationship but you see these men were called to a special kind of relationship to salvation in john chapter 1 verses 35 through 45 we find the first time they encountered jesus john the baptist was sitting there and they were some of these men were around him and he said as jesus walked by behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world and they followed him till he turned and said what do you want What are you seeking? He said, we want to see where you're going. 
is basically the Greek translation. He said, come on, I'll show you. So he had that beginning of the relationship. And you see, he had this relationship with these men and it had been building. And you see, it points to the fact that we need a relationship with Jesus. A faith relationship with Jesus. And so I ask you again, what, what relationship do you have with Jesus Christ? But we're going to take it a step further. What relationship do you have with others if you are a Christian? This is not supposed to be just kept to yourself. It's not supposed to just be hidden away so nobody can see or nobody knows. See, we're to share that relationship. I like the way William Arthur Ward said. He said this, Everyone has the power to make other people happy. Some do it by walking into the room, and some people do it by walking out. (laughs) Which category do you fit into? You see, we're supposed to invest our lives in relationships. That's what Jesus was doing here. He called them to himself and said, follow me. And as he invested for the next three and a half years into these relationships with these people, they grew to be what God wanted them to be. And they, in turn, were to go and make disciples of all the nations to invest their lives in others. Have you thought about investing your life, whether you've got a long time left or a short time left, into young people's lives or children's lives or young Christians' lives? That's what we're called to do. You see, we need to be open to God's leadership in specifically this area because it multiplies the workers for the kingdom. It starts like this. I'm going to ask you a question. You answer it to yourself. Are you approachable? Do people look at you and they're a little afraid of you because you're always a girl like this? Do they hear you talking about them young people? I want to tell you something that a lot of people don't want to admit. What you see the young people doing, they learn from the adults. Well, I never. Don't lie. Well, they're not as committed as the older generation. Well, maybe it's because the older generation hasn't taught them what commitment means. Well, they're not serving like they're supposed to be. Have you gotten out of the way and taught them how to serve? Do you understand what I'm telling you? We're called to be mentors. We're called to teach them about God's Word. We're called to teach them how to pray. We're called to teach them how to serve. We're called to teach them the gospel. We're called to teach them how to share their faith. We're called to teach them. Do you get the message? We're to pour our lives into others so that when we're gone... It still goes on. I got news for you. The church is going to go on whether I'm here or not or whether Ronnie's here or not. Now, hopefully somebody will miss me when I'm gone. And maybe a few will have. Do you remember when Brother Gary helped us here or there? Maybe there'll be some good things said. There'll probably be lots of bad things said. I don't care. I won't be here. But we're called to be mentor. And a mentoring starts with a relationship. I want you to think about those around you you have a relationship with. And are, you, are they happy you're there? Or do you make them uncomfortable? They're happy when you walk out the door. See, mentoring really means that we build the church up. That's what Ephesians 4.12 tells us our job is. That the church is edified. That means to build it up. Boy, it got quiet in here. I don't know about y'all. The second thing is this. A mentor... 
guides a process. A mentor guides a process. That's what Jesus was going to do. He was going to teach them. You see, he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's a process. You see, there's two things you need to know about this verse. Number one, they were called evangelism. That seems to be a dirty word in a lot of people's life. As, as the statistics say, between 90 and 95% of Christians, you notice I put that in quotation marks, will never lead anyone else to Christ. Now that is a tragedy. They were called. Every child of God is to be a witness to what God has done for them. Do you realize what evangelism really is? One preacher said it this way, and he said it better than I ever could. He said, evangelism is God sobbing over the lost. That's the way he said, for God so loved the world, and you can put your name in there. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You hear God's heartbeat there. Him crying over the lost. And we're called to cry over the lost. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. It's easy to cry over our family members that might not know Jesus. Over our good friends that might not know Jesus. It gets a little more difficult when it's those co-workers that sort of rub us the wrong way. Or that neighbor that's a little nasty. But if they don't know Jesus, we're supposed to cry over them. Leon Kilbrun, Kilbrew, was known as Mr. Sunday School. I'll never forget, I had him for a revival one time. And I figured they were going to run me off after a few of the things he said. And they did in about six months. But he said something. We had a, a building like the one up here. And they had an exercise class in it. And he went to town on that. He said, we got too many fat Baptists, of which I am one, that pour more sweat at the church building than they do tears over the lost. I said, ouch! See, we're called to evangelism. But the second thing you need to know about that, I will make you fishers of men, is this. We do not make ourselves. Did you catch that? We talk about self-made men and women all the time. There is no such thing. He said, I will make you fishers of men. As you follow me, as you grow close to me, as you learn from me, I will make you fishers of men. Now, let me translate that. If we don't have concern for lost people, if we don't have compassion for lost people, something's wrong with our relationship to Jesus because he said, as you follow me, as you stay close to me, I will make you fishers of men. And to say, well, I don't know any lost people. Shame on you. That's not the truth. You just haven't asked. Your personal banker, do you know if they're saved? The lady who waits on you at Walmart. I hate Walmart. Just because of the crowds. Your grocer. 
to keep going on. Your child teacher. Your co-worker. I guarantee if you ask, you'll find a lot more lost people than you ever thought you knew. But we go through life in our own little bubble, insulated, not really worrying about if somebody's going to hell or not. And Jesus said, follow me. You follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Rick Warren, pastor out at Saddleback Church in California, said, there's two basic reasons that people do not know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Here they are. One, they've never met a Christian. Two, they have met a Christian. Again, which category are you in? Why is it so quiet in here this morning? See, we need to be called to be disciples, and we need somebody to disciple us. We need mentors. We need people to just come aside and help us. Okay, let's go on so we can get through this painful thing. Y'all act like you're at the dentist. A mentor is contagious. Do you know that? A mentor is contagious. Look at verses 20 through 22 again with me. It says that they immediately left their nets and followed him. Speaking of Andrew and Peter. And going down from there he saw two other brothers. James the son of Zebedee and John his brother. In the boat with Zebedee their father mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left their boat. And their father in the boat and followed him. Two or three things about that. You realize that Zebedee means thunder. And so these are the two sons of thunder. The other gospels tell us, specifically the gospel of John, that they were business partners with Peter in the fishing business. And so Jesus finds one set of brothers and calls them. And they leave everything and follow him. And he finds the next set. And they leave even their dad in the boat and follow him. You see, it's contagious. People get excited because, first of all, there's an urgency. Jesus calls and immediately the men left everything and followed him. Why? Because it was Jesus. He was winsome. When people know Jesus, they become excited. You want to see a life change? Introduce somebody to Jesus Christ. They'll never be the same. Neither harder or better. Bitter or happy. But they'll never be the same. You see, these men had a desire in their hearts, I believe. Jesus brought out the best in them and they wanted to be better people. And they knew by following him, they would be what God wants them to be. Do you realize when you follow Jesus, when you really do his will, let's boil it down. He's going to make you a better person. As you follow him closely, you will become, through the process of what he calls sanctification, means be more like Christ, whom God intends you to be. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good. But not only is there an urgency, there's a forsaking. They left it all. They followed Jesus. People were attracted to him. People followed him. Crowds began to grow. And it was contagious. And his influence was felt. Everywhere he went, all the way to Jerusalem. Are we contagious Christians? Or have we been inoculated? 
There was a store manager in Portland, Oregon, and he was having one of those unusual days. He worked at a big department store, and first thing that morning, somebody was standing waiting to get in. He unlocked the door. They came in and said, listen, years ago, I cut the switch the price tags on one of your merchandise. I'm here to make up the difference plus play interest. They took him to his office. A little bit later, a lady came and said, I did shoplifting here at the store, and I want to make it right. If you have to arrest me, I understand, but I want to pay for what I shoplifted as best I can, and I, I want to straighten out. And it went that way until after lunch, and finally he called his security manager, the guy in, in security, and said, this is what's happening, named off these five or six people. And he says, what is going on? The guy chuckled, and here's what he said. Billy Graham's in town. Now think of that. What an influence. Billy Graham shows in town, starts preaching, and people start getting right with God. His influence was such that people wanted to do what was right. Let me ask you, and let me ask myself, is our influence like that? Are we contagious for Jesus? Are we actually investing time? When you look at the young people that God has blessed us with, whether it's the children or youth, God has blessed us with them. What are we doing to make their life better? Have you befriended them and told them I'm praying for you? Or you just think, no, we've got a place for them and somebody else does that. See, everybody needs a mentor. I had two. One was my father-in-law and the other was another pastor named Bill Philiver. They were both... When they died in their 80s, I still miss them to this day. And I cannot wait to see them in heaven. Because they told me how life would work and they were absolutely correct. When I was getting ready to mess up, Brother Creese would never scold me. But he would get that thing, now Gary. And he'd drag that syllable out so I knew, okay, here it comes. He reminded me as a pastor that if the people were perfect, they wouldn't need me or want me because I'm imperfect. So there were no problem people. They were just people with problems. I wanted to say you haven't met some of the people I met, but I didn't because Brother Crease was right. Okay. They mentored me and helped me and prayed with me and for me and poured God's word into my life and told me how to live a different kind of life, and I struggled To try to live up to what they taught. Have you passed on that to somebody else? You don't know who the next Billy Graham's going to be. You don't know who the next child called from this church is going to be the next great missionary for Christ overseas. You should be praying God calls those people, but you need to be investing in lives around you. You want to see a good example of mentoring, follow our youth pastor around for a little while. The last thing, and we're going to close. Hey, y'all might get out here on time. A mentor leads the way. Amen is right. A mentor leads the way. Look at verses 23 through 25. And Jesus went about all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness 
and all kinds of disease among the people. In other words, he is showing them what their ministry is supposed to be because they're following him. He's leading the way. Then his fame went out through all Syria. And they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments. And those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics. Paralytic. Anyway, they're paralyzed. And he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea beyond the Jordan. See, a mentor leads the way. He shows his disciples what ministry is going to be about and what they're called to do. Teaching, preaching, healing, impacting the folks around them. How to love folks with the love of God. And let me tell you this right now. People will quit saying the church is irrelevant when the church starts loving people like the Savior does. They can argue with my theology. They cannot argue with Christ's love. And what I cannot do, the Holy Spirit does when I show the love of Christ. You can ask my wife, being loving is not always my best gift, unfortunately. But God's working on that. And Elizabeth helps greatly. She is the hammer that beats on the rock. She don't like that. <laughs> That's your cross to bear, darling. See, Jesus never calls us to do what he was unwilling to do. Jesus never calls us to do, now hear me, what he does not equip us to do. And Jesus never leaves us to do alone. He is with us. So quit being afraid. Step forward. Find somebody God has called you to mentor. Men with men. Women with women. And let's get busy. And so it works like this. There's an insurance salesman in Houston. Okay? His name is Bob. Everybody say Bob. Bob. So you can wake up. We're almost done. Bob is this insurance salesman. He becomes a Christian. He doesn't really know much about Christ. Comes as Christ as an adult. And Doug in the church, an older gentleman, begins to disciple him, begins to mentor him. And as he begins to teach him the Bible and different things about his salvation, they come to a section where in this mentoring relationship... Doug is teaching Bob about prayer. And if they do the Bible and they begin to pray together, and he gets a little bit better at it, he learns to write his prayers down and things of that nature. <clears throat> Doug says, I'm going to challenge you to pray. What do you feel led to pray about? Bob says, Africa. So that's too vague, get specific. And so he named a country in Africa. He said, okay, here's the deal. If you'll pray every day for 30 days. So how long was he supposed to pray? But every day for 30 days, what God is leading you to pray for, that country in Africa. If God doesn't do something before the end of that 30 days, I'm going to give you $500. But if he does do something, you're going to give me $500. That's how serious this is. So the time began to count down. And he was worried because about day 27, he couldn't tell God had done anything yet. And then that night, he went to an insurance banquet. And lo and behold, at the banquet, as he sat at that table, the lady across from him was from the country in Africa he'd been praying for. And Bob began to question her and what she's doing. And she said she's working at a medical center. And he had a lot of questions about it. And she said, well, I can tell that you're interested in this. Why don't you fly over there and visit me? He said, okay. He booked a flight. 
Told Doug he owed him $500, but he booked a flight. Flew over to Africa. What he found was these horrid conditions. They didn't have enough money. They didn't have enough equipment. They didn't have anything in this hospital. And the needs were astronomical. So he began to pray about it. And when he got back, he began to write pharmaceutical companies and and, uh, the medical equipment companies. Now get how God got into this. Bob, the insurance salesman, raised over $1 million worth of equipment and pharmaceuticals. He called the lady and said, I've got this for you. And she was so elated, she arranged for him to come. The president of the country was so impressed that he paid for Bob's flight back to Africa. The stuff got there, and they began to set it up. And and he was really, really impressed. And so was the president. He stuck up a conversation with Bob and decided they were going to be friends. Now remember, Bob is just a quiet, unassuming insurance salesman. As they're driving around, he's showing them the, the capital city and everything that's going on. If they drive by prison, he said, that's not the regular prison. No, that's political prisoners. He said, what do you mean political prisoners? He said, they don't agree with the way I govern, so they're in jail. And all Bob did was say this. He said, i got to get the words right. He said, that's not a good idea. And he left it at that. He came home, and about a week later, he got a call from the State Department, U.S. State Department, in the middle of the night, asking if he was Bob, etc., etc. Had he just been to Africa? Did you talk to somebody about some political prisoners? Well, yes, I did. So we've got to know what you said. We've been trying to get these guys freed for years, and yesterday they were released. He said, I just told him it wasn't a good idea to have political prisoners. And let them go. Now that doesn't speak so much for Bob as it does for the God that Bob knows. But it does speak for Bob that he had the courage to pray and follow others. And he was influencing that president for good. To this day, he still has a relationship with that man. And that man has become a Christian. He's no longer the president of the country, but he is a Christian. You see, when I say we need to make disciples, when I say we need to mentor, that doesn't mean I'm going to do it all. It does not mean Brother Galen's going to do it all. It means that those of you, I'm going to give you some examples. Those of you that are a little bit older and your kids have left, but you raised two or three kids, you need to be helping these young mothers to have these kids, and they just don't know which way to turn. That's what Paul says. Teach, he, he says the older women will teach young, younger women to love their husbands and their children. Why does it get so quiet in here? The older men are supposed to teach the husbands how they're supposed to treat their wives. Don't be volunteering if you're not treating your wife right. Those of you that are single... And you raise your children single. we got a lot of single mothers. And you should be influencing them on how to get through that. And the problems that it involves. Those of you that had lost spouses for years. And maybe your spouse is now a Christian. And, and you went to church by yourself. You need to talk to some of these that are doing the same thing now. Those of you that maybe had some marital problems. But you stuck it out. And it got better. You need to help some of the ones that are, that are having that. Now. 
I don't know if any of those are my thing. Listen to me. Some of you have so many gifts you need to be helping other folks with. It might be marital stuff. It might be financial stuff. It might be learning how to build stuff. We've got kids that would love to learn that kind of stuff from somebody they would trust. But that doesn't come until you establish a relationship. And a relationship might be just coming up, meeting them and saying, I'm going to pray for you. And then come back and say, what do you need? Some of you that are, are retired or almost retired, you've got a little bit more cash. I'm not saying you're rich. You've got a little bit more. And some of these kids can't afford the basic stuff to go to school. And do you know how you would influence them by meeting that need? That's a part of mentoring too. It takes time. It takes effort. But do you think that it took Jesus' effort to leave the glories of heaven, walk on sinful sod with sinful men, be spat upon, crucified, died, buried, raised the third day, come back, give them their final instructions and say, make disciples till I come back. It took all of that. Somebody realizes that it's time to go. That's the, No, that's somebody calling Charlie, trying to get him for fishing. So what are you supposed to do with this? Some need to come and respond this way. God, I want to obey you, and however you want to use me, I'm surrendering. Some need to come in rededication, because you're not ready to mentor, you need to be mentored. Some need to come and accept Christ as Lord and Savior, because you have not a clue what I'm talking about. Some need to join this church by baptism, statement, or letter, how we receive members, and put your life and work here so God can use you in the kingdom of God in this area. I'm going to pray. You're going to pray with me. Then you're going to stand, and Brother Ronnie's going to come and lead us a hymn invitation. Don't worry about getting out of here until you do what God wants you to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessings and allowing us to be here. Thank you for your word, how it challenges us, confronts us, and comforts us. Let us obey you. Father, let us surrender to you today, not for our glory, but for your glory. And let Jesus be high and lifted up in Christ's name. Amen.